0: Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to this week's Beeson Podcast. I have a very special guest to talk with today, Dr. Neville Callum. He is the general secretary of the Baptist World Alliance. Neville, thank you for being with us
1: today. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Thank you, Timothy. Uh, tell us what is the Baptist World Alliance? Ah, there are about 110 million Baptists scattered across the world. And uh, we believe it's very important for these Baptists to have a connection with each other. And the Baptist World Alliance exists for this particular purpose. To create a space for Baptists from across the world, to relate together, to share fellowship, to plan for the coordination of their mutual ministry, um, to collaborate together, to share in common mission as Baptists in one family. Uh, Presently, well, at the present time, uh, some 42 million of these Baptists in 120 countries are united together in this global fellowship Called the Baptist Spirit Alliance. and our goal is to reach out to other Baptists not currently a part of this family, so that they may discover themselves within the family and find fellowship with us. Uh, of course, you know there are many Baptist distinctives. I mentioned just two, for instance, the old question of the defense of freedom and justice, a priority among Baptists. And so, we are, we are established partly to represent. The Baptist voice in issues of freedom and justice across the world, working through the United Nations, uh, making uh, representation to governments where people have their rights infringed, particularly their religious liberty. And another uh, area I might mention is the old question of helping people. Who are facing situations of need particularly mm. when there are crises that occur because of um, natural disasters for instance in haiti um, in chile in more recent years the baptist brotherland um, provides an avenue for baptists together Mm. to communicate uh, the love of Christ to those who are in these disaster zones, in those occasions. And we are very pleased to be able to offer this ministry. We do far more than that, but I've mentioned just those two.
0: So Baptist World
1: Aid is a part of this work? Baptist World Aid is the agency that executes that ministry um, of caring for people in situations of need.
0: And I know a number of times in the world where there's a particular instance of religious repression, persecution of Christians and others, the Baptist World Alliance speaks out and tries to be a helpful voice in that kind of situation.
1: Perhaps one of the recent experiences of the Baptist World Alliance in this regard, um, I might mention, has to do with the situation in Azerbaijan, where there were some people who were arrested um, on trumped-up charges. But precisely because they were christians and i recall one of them Um, we made representation on his behalf he was eventually released and i met with him for an interview and i learned a lot from him because i discovered that while i felt very sorry for him and what he endured in prison um, he said to me never the lord sent me there because there was work for me to do (laughs) And I I thought to myself, yes, we'll continue this ministry, but we had better understand that there's meaning to be found in every single experience in life.
0: I'm speaking today to Dr. Neville Callum. He's the General Secretary of the Baptist World Alliance. Some years ago, there was a politician in America who said, uh, all politics is local and though you are neville a a world christian statesman as we can see relating to so many different places and christians throughout the world you come from a very particular place and i thought we'd be interesting just to talk a little bit about your own background from jamaica and how, what your your story is like how you became a christian how you came to faith tell us a
1: little bit about you and jamaica it's been a joy to meet Christians from all over the world, and it's been a very enriching experience for me. But I have to say, um, perhaps not exhibiting sufficient humility, that one of the greatest places to be is in Jamaica. <laughs> I was born there in a deep rural village on the north coast of Jamaica. And um, I grew up in the countryside. My parents were fairly poor, but we didn't think we were poor in those days. We had what we needed to eat, we had enough, we were quite happy. I now know that we didn't have very much, but we had faith. We were cultured in the Christian faith, brought up in the church, and being a part of the worshiping community was just a regular, normal, ordinary part of life. It it didn't appear to us as anything special. It was one of the things that we did. And so it became a habit to go to church and a joy to participate in the activities of the, the, the church's program, the church's activities. But I remember that particular night, and interestingly enough, um, it was a preacher from the Southern Baptist Convention who was visiting Jamaica and who was invited by my pastor to preach in the church, who delivered a message. The, the text was from John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus. And I cannot exactly explain what happened to me that evening. But all of a sudden, I came to see that there was more to going to church than simply enjoying it. It was about connecting with the sphere of the sacred. It it was about discovering your own identity. It was about discovering your purpose. And... um, I got my liberation that night as I made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And I I felt very embarrassed because I was in my early teens and felt I should have made that decision before. But with tremendous exhilaration that night, I I left the building with a strong conviction that I was okay. Now Mm. I did what I was supposed to. Give acknowledgment to the love of God spread abroad through Jesus Christ, and mediated to me in so many experiences I had, had, and that has been a defining moment in my life. I did something that night which was very strange, and my pastor, who is now deceased, did tell me about it when I was much older. He thought he, I was preposterous to say to him after the service, "Not only am I giving my life to the Lord this night." But I am making a pledge to become a pastor. He said, what would that little boy like this know about being a pastor? But indeed, God did speak to me on that occasion, that your love for the things of God, your love for the church, this is about the cultivation in you through the Holy Spirit of a disposition to make yourself available to be used by God in Christian service. And that's why I call that evening the the time of my liberation. Since that time, I've had a wonderful experience um, living for Jesus, growing and seeking to mature in the faith, drawing nearer to Christ from day to day. I left that community um, at the end of my school life. I wanted to go straight into college. My pastor told me, you will not. You will work, so you will understand something of the secular world. I, I think you understand something of the culture in which we, we grew up. Mm. Um, the pastor was a leader in the community, and what he said or parents would agree to that. So I worked for a year in the bank, and then afterwards I applied to go into the ministry. I was a teenager still. And I recall uh, when asked at the interview, if you are not accepted, what will you do? And I responded, um, in the prime of my youth, I must add, I have never contemplated that possibility of not being accepted. Mm-hmm. And I was told by the interviewers when I was much older that they nearly died with laughter after they sent me <laughs> out. But they accepted me, and so I went into college and was trained for the ministry.
0: Now, the school you studied is the United Theological College.
1: Yes. Tell a us a little bit about that school. An interdenominational college because um, a number of mainline churches in Jamaica had their own colleges, including the Baptists. Mm-hmm. They named it Calabar yeah. because of their concern for Christian mission to Africa. And I could say so much more on that. However, the time came when the leaders of the various communities um, said to themselves, what are we doing having our independent colleges, none of us is able to find teachers for all the subjects. And what used to happen, the Baptists concentrated on biblical studies, the Anglicans on liturgical studies, the Presbyterians on systematic theology and so on. And we used to pedal from one school to the other to get mm. the lectures. They said, let's get rid of these properties and purchase land beside the University of the West Indies in Kingston and let's unite together um, for study together Christian formation in an ecumenical context i'm the creature of that kind of situation Mm. Mm. and it it was a really important experience in my life it has formed me for christ with enormous ecumenical openness and a strong commitment to respect for the unity of the church
0: let me take you back to the earlier days of christianity in jamaica i read somewhere recently that 85 percent of the people in jamaica are protestant christians of one sort or another and baptists are very strong in jamaica Uh, How did this happen? How did Christianity come to Jamaica? How was it shaped and formed in terms of its own identity?
1: When Christopher Columbus lost his way and landed in the Caribbean, he did not discover the place. He he had actually lost his way and was rescued in the Caribbean. Um, He brought Roman Catholicism with him. Soon, because of the Vagaries of Caribbean history. The British conquered the country sixteen fifty five and the Anglicans, the Church of England as they call themselves and came with them and later a stream of churches with the Moravians and the Baptists and others. What happened is that the Baptists and the Moravians in particular were deeply committed to the plight of the enslaved in the country. And they concentrated their ministry with permission from the, um, those who were responsible for ordering society at the time, they concentrated their ministry on the enslaved. Meanwhile, the Roman Catholics and the Anglicans ministered to those who were um, seen as the oppressors by the vast population. Because of the holistic nature of the ministry that was conducted by the churches, concern for every aspect of human development, they were the ones who opened schools so that people could learn to read. They were the ones who purchased land so that we could find properties uh, on which to live and therefore got entitlement to vote. They were the ones who made it possible for us to live together in community, fighting against slavery. We received our liberation, thanks be to God um, for that. They were the ones who helped us to form communities and to develop and grow. So there is a very, very strong feeling of indebtedness to the church for the freedoms that we enjoy in jamaica today and that's that's the main reason why so many such a vast percentage of the population um is a part of the the protestant community
0: now, the Jamaica Baptist Union was organized in 1849, so just shortly after the emancipation period, and um, though there was a strong and very uh, important relationship with uh, British and I suppose later American Baptist Christians, Jamaican Baptists developed their own sense of indigenous life and spiritual life and
1: theology even. Can you say a little bit about that? We, we are very indebted to the, the British for the importance that they taught us to attach to theological education. We we were hungry for the Word of God. We wanted to understand the Word of God, to translate it into the realities of the culture of the people, to communicate the faith in a way that was very relevant to the people's concerns. And so we, we spent a lot of time uh, focusing on that. Uh, because of that, the Baptist Church has developed a strong tradition, not alone for Uh, defending the rights of the people, but also for helping to form people in the faith. And that tradition continues until this day. We are very glad that the Southern Baptists also came to to Jamaica and they partnered with the Jamaica Baptist Union. We asked them to concentrate on Christian education because that's what we felt that they were good at. Mm -hmm. Whereas the the British Baptists concentrated on theological education, Mm -hmm. if you understand the distinction. Um, Eventually, uh, we said, thank you so much for what you have done. We think we are on the way now and we began to take responsibility for these ministries ourselves.
0: Let me ask you to say just one word about the Caribbean Baptist Fellowship, because of J- Jamaica of course is in the Caribbean, but you are related to other Christians, other Baptist Christians through
1: the Caribbean Baptist Fellowship. Uh, what is that? When William Tolbert was president of the Baptist World Alliance, he had a deep concern for the Caribbean reality being understood to be distinct from the Latin American reality. Um, and, and so he was one of those who gave tremendous impetus to the formation of the Caribbean Baptist Fellowship. A number of islands, many of them English speaking, but others as well, um, with a common history, common heritage. And the Baptist witness in all of these countries, the Baptists being brought together to form this um, relationship, of fellowship, becoming a region of the Baptist world Alliance, so, albeit the smallest one.
0: You mentioned the coming of the Christianity, the gospel was preached, and uh, in some ways the process of evangelization still goes on in Jamaica, as it does throughout the world, really. And uh, in particular, I want to focus on one aspect of that, and that is the translation of the scriptures. Uh, recently, there has been a new translation in the making in Jamaican patois. Uh, Can you say a little bit about that translation? And then we're going to listen to just a few verses from the Christmas story in this
1: new translation that's just emerging these days. You will have to stop me because I will speak endlessly about it. (laughs) Actually, when the enslaved arrived in Jamaica, um, they were forced to speak a new language, to create a new language, because part of the learning from the Haitian Revolution was that it was not wise to take people from one part of Africa and place them in a country where they could communicate among themselves and the masters were unable to understand. So they took people from different tribes in Africa, placed them together in one country. They could not communicate, so they created a language, properly called Jamaican, but some people call it patois, it's um, it is it, it's a language that comprises words from a number of African languages mixed with Spanish and English and a number of, of other influences. Um, we have been concerned that since this is really our heart language, mm. uh, we have read Lamin Sane and many others, and mm. we understand it's extremely important for people to hear the gospel in their own heart language that we should have a translation. And that's why this emerged
0: Let's listen to uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter two, the Christmas story in Jamaican Patois, and then uh, Neville maybe you can make a few comments about it.
2: In a them deh, the Roman ruler, Caesar Augustus, order fi write down the name of everybody in him kingdom. This are the first time name are write down since the time when Cirunius did a rule of Assyria. All him people them did after God the town with them did burn fi get them name right down so the government can tax them. So because Joseph did come from David family, and David did born in Judea, him did have left from Nazareth in Galilee and go up Bethlehem in Judea. Joseph go there with Mary if you get them name right down. The two of them did engage for marry them one another, and she did pregnant. When them did, Mary take in for a baby, and she have her first picnic. one wow, boy! She wrapped him up in a baby blanket and put him in the box for the animal them near motor. Cause no space never there in the guest house for Mary and her family. That night there, some shepherds did look after them sheep in a one field. Near where Mary them did they. One of the lad angels come to the shepherd them. One bright, bright light from God, cover them and make them frightened subtle. So the angel tell them, say, no fear. I have good news you know, news we are going to make everybody happy. The one we are going to save you know, born today in the town where David come from. Him is Christ, the one we got anointed. Him is the Lord. Me I go tell you know what we are see. So when you know see that, we are going to see Him. We are see one baby wrap up in one baby blanket and lit down in the box with the animal them near motor. All of a sudden, all heap of angels from heaven join him. Them did a praise the Lord and say, Praise God we are heaven, and, and peace to everybody we got happy the After the angels them left and go back to heaven, the shepherds said to them one another, Come, make we go to Bethlehem, go see all of the Lord tells about. Them hurry and go find Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus did the lidon in the bed when I a dry grass. When them see them, them tell everybody all about the angels about the baby. And everybody will hear the shepherd them shock. But Mary, she keep what them say in her heart and think about them all the time. The shepherd them go back to them sheep and praise God for all what them hear and see. Cause everything them did see and hear just like old the angel did tell them.
0: So that's the Christmas story in Jamaican Patois.
1: What have we just listened to? Isn't that magnificent? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a story about Jesus being in Jamaica. It's helping to bring the message home to the people right there and then. The incarnation is about what God has done in the world, what God has done in our community, and what God is making possible today. The General Secretary of the Bible Society of the West Indies, um, the group responsible for the translation, is a very good friend of mine. He was a member of the church where I served as pastor before coming to the Baptist World Alliance, and I told him about my experience once trying to address um, a large high school, indeed the largest high school in the Caribbean, in a devotional exercise. And I'm not very good at talking to children. And I decided I was going to translate the story of the Good Samaritan into Jamaican. And I did. And uh, I said very little after reading the story because they listened to me in absolute silence. And the, the principal said, Neville, this is the first time they are really understanding the story. And I was very happy to know the impact it had on that leader of the Bible Society, and I'm pleased to see the project that has emerged. It's about telling the people, telling the story to the people in a language with which they can identify so that they can come into the experience of that marvelous transformation that only the Holy Spirit can make possible.
0: Wonderful. You know, the, the Bible says the Word of God is living. It's alive, powerful. And so this is a uh, demonstration of that, surely, uh, in the language of Jamaica. Now, you've also written about the importance of scripture in the public worship of the people of God. Uh, you wrote an article, an essay not long ago on not neglecting the
1: sacred text. What were you trying to say in that piece? Since coming to the United States, I've worshipped in many churches, particularly in the area of the country where I live. And uh, because I used to be involved on a weekly basis in planning worship, I was always concerned about the stewardship that I was offering as a a person planning worship. Uh, One of the concerns I had uh, was to ensure that people who attended church understood they were coming to meet with Jesus Christ, that the Lord Jesus is the host in worship, and that those who attend the past and the others are guests, and that therefore we need to spend enough time listening to hear what God has to say to us. And I have found particularly, indeed uniquely important, our spending enough time listening to the Word of God being read mm-hmm. with its own power, its own transforming power, its own relevance, and so important for our formation, so we know how to live, and so I wrote this particular um, article because I wanted to offer a gentle reminder to those who, for one reason or another, are spending very little time reading the Word of God um, when the people of God gather for corporate worship.
0: What are some of those reasons you pointed to in your article, why people neglect the sacred text, even though they may say they believe it?
1: Uh, sometimes is spent preaching. sometimes the sermon is not the exposition of a text of scripture. Sometimes the sermon is a, a wonderful word of encouragement of rebuke, whatever it is wonderful word, valid word, but the people are not often always not always given a grounding in the word so that they can think through the sermon in relation to the manifestation of god's will for humankind through christ uh, as mediated um, through the sacred scriptures another reason for it and that reason was of course um, preaching not being based often on the word of god itself another reason is the limited time that is made available for worship although i have to say In some contexts where time is limited, people still find it possible because of the value they place on the reading of the word to have sufficient time to hear the word of God being read. The drama of recalling what is said in the sacred scriptures has enormous power. Power we should never underestimate and therefore encourage us all to ensure that time is spent sufficient time is spent uh, reflecting on the Word of God, um, reading the Word of God, and reflecting on its meaning when we gather for corporate worship
0: Thank you, Neville, for this admonition to honor the scriptures and to listen to the scriptures with intentionality your word have i hid in my heart the psalmist says that i might not sin against you O god and that kind of respect and engagement with the bible uh, is very central to the christian faith uh, for all of us and it's a wonderful admonition uh, coming from you especially I've been talking today to Dr. Neville Callum, he is the General Secretary of the Baptist World Alliance. That's an organization with 41 million members in 120 countries, serving a wider Baptist constituency of 110 million persons. That's a lot of Baptists in the world, but we don't exist for ourselves, do we? We are in mission to fulfill what Jesus has asked us to do in going into all the world, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with everybody everywhere. It's a joy to have you with us. Thank you so much for this conversation.
1: Thank you, and thank you, Timothy, also for what you mean to all of us as a child of God. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, beesondivinity.com.